You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, good morning. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. As we continue in our series, The Rock Won't Move, we remember that the rock we're talking about in Peter is not Peter himself. He was a rock that got moved and dislodged and messed up lots of times, and the Lord restored him and brought him back. And an amazing story, even this letter that he is writing to the churches, the rock that won't move is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what our hope is built on, and, and that's where our encouragement is. And so today we're going to take a look at a message entitled, I've Got My Eyes on You. I've Got My Eyes on on you. We talk about that at the elders a little bit for after the service. And if Sue and I are here and there's a, a line of people and there's too many that uh, they will step in. And, and uh, Dave Locke likes to do this to me. He goes like this. He goes, uh, we're watching, Pastor. I got my eyes on you. And uh, we've heard that expression done in different ways. You might have heard someone say, um, keep your eyes on the ball or keep your eye on that particular situation or don't let them out of your sight for even a minute. Hey, the great hope that the follower of Jesus Christ has found right in our text says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And uh, we're going to take a look at this text today and consider what God is teaching us as his church. Um, It should be a great encouragement to us to know that the Lord is watching us. But uh, maybe in your life, that's not much of an encouragement today. When I say the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, you're like, I wish maybe he wasn't looking at me. Um, Well, we want to take a look at that and uh, the connotations of that and what does that mean as we consider our message for today. So you got your Bibles open, I trust, uh, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, and uh, let's stand together. We want to honor God as uh, we read from his word. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 to 17. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word today. Again, we have the privilege to hold it in our hands. The very thing that you put on uh, Peter's uh, lips, and then, Father, through the pen onto the page, Lord, that uh, we can be instructed from it. We pray, God, that you would um, open our eyes, God, to uh, see what you're saying, to hear it, and then, Lord, to take it and apply it in our lives. Lord, uh, do a work in me today. 
do a work in us today. And the way that we will explain it is that the Lord did it. it. It goes against the culture. It goes against the grain of what we would do, but it's in line with who you are and what you desire. So do your work in your way for your glory in this place, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. We want to take a look at uh, three things today as we consider the eyes of the Lord are on us. I've got my eyes on you. Uh, The first one is to uh, be sure that my relationships are right. The Lord's eyes are on us. My relationships are right. Now look at how the text starts out in verse 8. Finally, all of you, all of you, this uh, message is written for the entire church that he was writing to. Remember back um, in the verses prior, we talked about how the, uh, the instruction came to being under government and under the king and, or the governor and the emperor. And, and then he talked about how we're to be subject, the slaves were to be subject to their masters. It wasn't condoning slavery. He was just talking about where you find yourself in life, you need to come under. And, and then we saw the reason for all that is because of he himself, Jesus, bore our sin in his body on the tree. That's why we do do all of this. And then uh, last week, as we were looking, we were, saw the, the section that was written to uh, the wives. We told the men, that's not your section. Ladies, you take care of your stuff in scripture. And then there was a section to the men. And men, you focus on that. And, and that really brings us up to where we are today. And, and so today he starts the text by saying, all of you. And so it's not for a specific group. It's not for the men. It's not for the women. It's for everyone. So, so let's do this. Look to the person beside you. And say to them, this message, okay, we'll try that again, okay? A little nervous, are you? Yeah, I'm sure you are. This message is for me. How many of you are honest enough to admit you say you? This message is for me. It's for all of us. It's for you. It's for me. And so just in case you were thinking, ha, 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 I'm getting wound up. My husband's getting this one. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong answer. This message is for me. And every one of us needs to look at God's word like that when he says, now to all of you, we all need to sit up and go, okay, what's he going to say to us? What do we need to hear from God's word Today And so in these uh, verses 8 to 12, uh, he gives us a number of things that will help us in our relationships and understanding that God is watching us. That's the last thing we'll see in this section. But in verse 8, in verse 8, he gives us five attitudes. Then there's two more things in the next verses we will see. But um, five attitudes that are foundational for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so here's the first one. He talks about unity. Finally, all of you. Me, you, all of us have unity of mind. Have unity of mind. Unity is not uniformity. Everybody in the room doesn't like chicken. Some people like beef. Uh, we don't, we're, we're not uniform. We don't all walk the same way. We don't all dress the same way. God has made us individually. Now, I've pre-chosen some folks who are going to come and join me on the platform today. Uh, don't let me down at this point, okay? Um, joy. Um, Dave Locke, Ben, come on up here. Uh, Mark, come on up here. Um, Janny, uh, come on up here. Um, let's have um, Dave Naismith and Sue Whittingstall, uh, come on up here. And Keith Lakeman. I needed a really big guy to go with Dave uh, Naismith. So, uh, okay. So just look at this crew. Not a motley crew, a beautiful crew. But uh, look at this crew. 
and allow them to represent unity, right? They're not all the same size. Now, these two guys could squish me like a bug, and uh, they're not all the same size. Uh, they're not all from the same ethnic background. I love this church. I love the fact that the diversity of the ethnicity in our church is it's unbelievable. And guess what? Nobody cares because that's not what our unity is based on. It's not about how old you are or how young you are. It's not about how educated you are. Our unity comes of who we are in Jesus Christ. Thank you. You did a wonderful job. And give them a hand. They were... Three hours of practice on Friday night just paid off. uh, Okay, it did not. I just made that up. Unity. Have a unity of mind. It's the things that we have in common in Jesus Christ. The things we have in common are, are the gospel of Jesus Christ. With the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of those people who is up here has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They came to the place of understanding, separated from God by my sin. The only plan for redemption is the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have unity in that. We are together. It's a closed hand thing. We have unity in our church as to what our our purpose is, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission and the spirit of the great commandment. Everybody who is up on the platform, we're all on the same page about that. Our doctrinal statement, what we believe as a church, we're all on the same page about that. What we think about the four pillars is the foundational things of what we do around here. We're all on the same page about that. The way we worship, walk, and work for Christ. We're all desiring the same things about that. Because we have unity, but not uniformity. We don't all think exactly the same. And God has given us in the church this great spirit of unity centered around the Lord Jesus Christ and centered around the word. And so as Peter starts out his text, he says, now listen, every one of you, every one of you, Have unity of mind. Be about the things that are critical and be willing to let the other things, let them go. Have unity of mind. Every cell in your body is different. And each one of it has has a role to play. But every cell in your body has the same DNA code and it all works together for the body to work. It's a picture of unity. Um, picture of a choir. You can have 50 people in a choir and they're singing four or five different parts to the same words and, and the harmony that all comes out of it is because we have unity, not uniformity. And that's what we've been called to in Jesus Christ. People should see us and understand who we are and our claim is not for our fame. It's all about what the Lord has done and we have unity. And so he starts out with these people and he says to them, finally, all of you have unity of mind. That's the first attitude. The second attitude, he says, is um, have sympathy. Have sympathy. Be sympathetic, suffering with one another by entering into and sharing the feelings and the pain that other people have. Compassion from, for people. And uh, we need to look around us in our sphere of influence in our church and we need to have sympathy for one another. This is more than just I feel bad for you kind of word. It's not quite empathy because everybody hasn't gone through the same things. 
But it's seeing what the need is and being caring about it and reaching out in it and not just like, oh, I hope they're doing better next week, but what am I going to do? I have a sense of sympathy for what's going on. He's going to get into that even deeper as he goes along. That's the second thing, that we would be people filled with sympathy, bearing one another's burdens, bearing one another up. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ taking a look around you and seeing what the need is and meeting that need fulfills the law of Christ. It's what God would, it's what would Jesus do? See, the greatest things that happen in our church are often the things that nobody knows about. I love it when I hear a story two or three months after something's happened about a family that came alongside another family and it wasn't hooked to some ministry that we have. They just saw the need, reached out, met the need, and God got the glory and nobody knew about it because we were being the body of Christ in unity, having sympathy for one another. Sympathy. The next thing he says is to be people filled with brotherly love. Finally, All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. It's the love that unites believers. Well, why is that so important? Because I'm told to love everybody. I'm not even sure I like everybody in the room. Well, you're not told to like everybody in the room, but we are told that we're to love each other. Why? Because Christ loved us. Yeah, but some of the people in the room aren't very loving. They're just not lovely people. Yeah, well, neither were you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were an enemy of God, and he loved you. A matter of fact, this is the way that we demonstrate how we're different from all of the world by how we love each other. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The best testimony we can give of the Lord Jesus Christ to a world that's watching us is the way that we love each other, demonstrating that we have unity, not uniformity. We don't all act the same way. We don't all do the same things, but we have a unity in Christ and we're going to love each other. We're going to pour into each other. We're going to support each other. When the struggle comes, we're going to be there for each other. Have unity, have sympathy, have brotherly love, be tender-hearted, Ties into the sympathy, but maybe this is just the way we act it out. Be kind-hearted. means feeling affectionately or compassionately and deeply for someone else. In your small group that you're in, I trust you're in a small group. If you're not in a small group, you need to get in a small group because this is where life really happens in our church where we can be tender-hearted to one another. When you see what the person is going through, the person who's facing a surgery or the person who is facing a loss in their life or, or the person who doesn't have a job or the person whose kids are struggling and, and we can be tender-hearted towards one another. Um, I've told you the story about Sue's dad being in the hospital and just that burden for us. I and mean, God is being gracious to us and we're working it all through, but our small group has been fantastic for us. They've been tender-hearted. They've cared for us. They send notes. They're loving on us and they pray for us and See, that's what the body of Christ does. Now, be tender-hearted. We had meals delivered to our house. We had gift certificates given to us. All that stuff because, because people are tender-hearted. They see a need and they want to meet the need. 
And that's what we're called to do, and that's what we're called to be. That's the attitude we're to have in Jesus Christ. And so if you look around the church and the people that you know, and you see someone who has a need, ask yourself, how could God use me to be the answer to their prayer? And don't just pray, Lord, what, you know, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do in this, but maybe you are the answer to their prayer. Now, being tender, tender-hearted. The next thing he says is to be, um, have a humble mind uh, filled with the uh, Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. And the fifth one here is a, a humble mind. A right understanding of yourself. Not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. Understanding who you are in light of who Jesus is. Making the glory about his glory, not about your glory. That's why the stories that nobody knows about in our church are the most special ones because the person just did it and it was hidden from everyone else. They just did it because they loved and they had a humble mind. The picture of Jesus Christ in, painted in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A humble spirit, willing to put someone else's needs first. Willing to make their priority the more important thing. Willing to take myself out of the limelight and put someone else in for the fame of Jesus Christ. It's a hard attitude. It's something that works its way out in the way we live and we act, but it starts with our heart. He says, have a humble mind. So he gives them these five attitudes. All of you. Unity. Sympathy. Brotherly love. A tender heart. And a humble mind. Then he goes on in verses uh, 9 through 12 and gives us two more things. In 9 to 11, he says, love the unlovely. Uh, Learning to love the unlovely. And you're like, really? Don't you understand what my boss is like? You You don't know what my neighbor's like. You don't know how hard it is in my family. There are some very unloving and unlovely people. Well, here's what he says. And here's what he was doing in his own life. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. This isn't just a suggestion. To this you were called. And when you do this, there's a blessing that's going to come with it. The blessing may not be on this side. It might be when we get to heaven. It might be on this side, and often it is. But we're called to love the person who is unlovely. You're like, did Peter just kind of make this up? He was like writing this letter and he thought, I'll just throw this in as a, a good, well, it wouldn't matter because if he did, it's still God's word. It's still scripture, but, but he didn't make that up on his own. If you look in your notes on the side of your page, you'll see this all comes from 
Psalm 34. You can write that down. You can check it out to make sure the pastor's telling the truth when you get home. But uh, Psalm 34, 12 to 14, it's where he takes this truth and he lays it down for them that we have a responsibility for even when people are coming against us with the greatest challenges that we face and we are wrong, the disputes that are there, he says, even when it's hard, you bless. You bless. For to this you were called. This is the way people will know you are my disciples. If you love one, if you love one another. The problems that come, the struggles that there are, the failures that happen. Don't hold on to them. Uh, get them made right. Deal with them. Forgive. No enduring relationships without forgiveness. Be right with God. Be right with each other. Love the person who's hard to love. Bless so that you will obtain a blessing. Counter culture, counter everything you hear in the world, but right in line with what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then here's the seventh thing. And remember who is watching. I love this part. Remember who is watching. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, people who are doing evil, whether they are in Christ or not in Christ, but people who are doing evil, they, they're not under God's blessing. They're going to be under God's judgment in some way. But for us as followers of Christ, these words he says to us are, are strong words. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Let's deal with the second part first. His ears are open to their prayers. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, the Bible says. If you remember last week, we were talking about the part about husbands. said that likewise husbands in verse 7. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And here he's saying to them, his ears, the ears of the Lord are open to their prayers. God loves it when you pray. He wants you to come. His ears are open to your prayers. Uh, we pray um, every uh, Saturday night and Sunday morning. And I just love the fact this morning there were about seven of us elders, a couple staff around the table praying. And the realization that here we are sitting in a boardroom at the far end of the church and God's ears are open to our prayers. He loves it when we come in prayer. His ears are open. But the first part of the verse says this. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on you. They were on you two hours before you got to church. They were on you in that business transaction last week. The eyes of the Lord were on you when you were at school last week. The eyes of the Lord were on you in that uh, encounter you had with somebody on the street. The eyes of the Lord were on you when you and your wife were trying to figure out how much we were going to spend on Christmas this year. The eyes of the Lord were upon you. And I can't help but think when we think about that, when you think about, man, the Lord's eyes are on me. That I want to do one of two things for you. It'll make you go like this. 
oh, I wish they weren't because I'm filled with shame. I'm not who I should be. I pretend to be things. And I can fool all the people at Harvest Bible Chapel, but the eyes of the Lord are upon you. And if that's your response, if that's the sense you have that the eyes of the Lord are upon you, then I beg of you, I urge you, I beseech you, the Bible says. You close your eyes right now and you deal with the thing that's in your heart, in your life, that makes you droop when you think that the eyes of the Lord are upon you. You get that right. So that the fact that the eyes of the Lord are upon you becomes a comforting thing and a hopeful thing and a thing that you would desire that God would do. I want the eyes of the Lord to be upon me. And sometimes it's to discipline and sometimes it's to refine, but he's watching over me and he cares for me. The eyes of the Lord are upon you. Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the world to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. And you said there, well, Paul, come on. You telling me that every time the eyes of the Lord are on you, it's like, woo-hoo, he just hit the ball out of the park again. No, lots of times. But the eyes of the Lord bring on me that bring to conviction and bring to repentance and bring to restoration is a great thing and a, and a great hope. And we should love the fact that God's eyes are on us. It should be a great encouragement to us as we move forward in our sanctification. Yes, stumbling and getting up, and move, but moving forward. Not what I was. Not what I should be. Not what I will be. But moving forward for the glory of God and the thought that God's eyes are on me, his ears are inclined to my prayer, should be a great confidence and a hope for the follower of Jesus Christ. And if it isn't for you today, you get it right. You can fix that right now. Before the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are on me. What grace and what mercy and what hope. God aware of every detail of my life. He listens to my prayers. He hears my cries. He knows when I'm overwhelmed. The eyes of the Lord are on me. So the first thing Peter talks about is um, making sure that our relationships are right. He kind of hits through seven things. And, and now he goes on to the next thing. It's um, the eyes of the Lord I've got my eye on you, um, understanding that my Lord is the king. The one whose eyes are on me, he's the king. Um, it says um, in the next verses, in verses uh, 13 to 15, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Here it is. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
I've got my eyes on you, the Lord says. He is the king. He is the sustainer. He is the creator. He's the one who gives me my next breath. That's the one whose eyes are on me. And so the first part of this is the the one whose eyes are on me, the Lord, the king, my sustainer, he'll give me grace in suffering. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Why? Because God, the king, is in control. The maker of heaven and earth. The sustainer of life. The one who took you out of death and brought you into his marvelous light. He is the one who sustains you. And so we have grace for suffering. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not ours to get even. It's not ours to repay. It's ours to let go and allow God to take care of the balancing of all of that in his time and in his way. Our job is found more in the next part, in putting Christ in his proper place. Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Psalm 73, 26, you know it's my life first. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In your heart, honor Christ the Lord. I think sometimes we, because we all get caught up in the externals. And so, you know, we're coming to church. And so we got to make sure everybody thinks everything looks good. And so, you know, before you get out of the car, you tell the kids to straighten up. You've been yelling and screaming for the 10 minutes coming down McCowan. Or if you've been coming up McCowan through that traffic, it's a wonder you even got here in your right mind. And, and so now it's about, um, we got to look good. We, we got to look good. And so smarten up, sit up straight, do up the top button, whatever it is, because we got to impress some people. Man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. Honor Christ in your heart. So often in the Christian world, people get some set of of do's and don'ts based on if I do these things, well, then that, that will look good. That will be the right way to live. And we get it all backward. There are lots of things God's word commands us to do, and we need to do it. But it needs to come out of a heart that's given over to the Lord Jesus Christ that has a passion to honor him. And our desire is for God. Our desire is for Christ. Our desire is for his glory. And then the questions about how we live, they get pretty easy to deal with because I don't want what I want. I want what he he wants. He will get the glory. Put Christ in his proper place. And then he goes on and says, be ready to give a defense. Honor, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord. And always be prepared to make a defense to anyone that asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and with respect. Peter made a defense of the Lord in Acts 2, 14 to 39, and in Acts 3, 11 to 26, and in Acts 4, 8 to 12, and in Acts 5, 29 to 32. I'll read that one. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him and be ready to give a defense. 
of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And you do it through the truth of God's word and you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be people of God ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Why will they be asking for the reason of the hope that's in us? Well, because of the things that we're committed to in our attitudes and in our actions that are so different from the world. And they'll say, why are you like that? Why, why are your wife and you like that? I see you guys going out on Sunday morning. What's that all about? And uh, your coworker will be, you know, you aren't, you're not willing to cut corners. You're not willing to shave a deal. You're, you're doing things according to, I don't know what, but what is that thing? And he says, be ready to give an account. Be ready to give a defense but not a defense of your opinions about things. Your defense from God's word about things. And so when they ask you why you are like you are, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of what the Lord has done. And you give a defense from the word. If anyone ever asks you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't try and explain it in your own words alone. You can use illustrations and that's all fine, but the power is in the word of God. The power comes when we help people understand All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not from works so that no one can boast. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and he made you alive in Jesus Christ. See, the power is not in my opinion. The power is in the word of God. And everything I just said was right out of God's word. And so when it comes to, here's who I am, this is what makes me tick. This is the foundation. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you from God's word for the reason of the hope that is in you. Because he is the Lord. He is the king. He is the one who is seated on the throne. He is the one who I am humbling myself under so that He gets the glory. Hey, if you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you just heard the good news. You heard that you were separated. There's nothing you can do about it. That God did it all in Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Simple faith. It's not about works. It's not about trying more. It's not about producing It's all about surrender. I said last week, the the great challenge of the gospel is not in its simplicity. It's in our pride. And I'm not willing to let go of me to allow Jesus to take control. And we come to the place where we understand, I can't fix this. I can't correct this. Lord, you have to save me. You're my only hope. You'll believe and you will be, you'll be saved. Well, the last thing he talks about in verses 16 and 17 is a clear conscience. I love this part too, that, that we would have a clear conscience. Now look what it says. 
Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. If you ever hear somebody say these words to you, my conscience is my guide. Red light should be flashing off and on for you. Like this is a terrible thing they just said. Those are awful words. Your conscience is not your guide. The word of God is your guide. The spirit of God is your guide. Your conscience can be so messed up in about two days of wanting and doing something, right? We all know. We all know what it's like. It's like, um, so uh, three years ago, you were doing your income tax, and you thought, you know, if I just fudge that number, I can get an extra 100 bucks back from the government. And then the next year, it's like, you know, if I fudge that a little bit more, I can get 200 bucks back from the government. And then 300, and then 500, until the CRA finds you and locks you up, or whatever they do to you. Um, because your conscience gets seared. You, you do a thing over and over and over again. It doesn't bother you anymore. Or what you watch when nobody's around. Or the first time you do it, you feel awful about it. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. And your conscience doesn't bother you. It just goes down and down and down. And so do not, do not ever get caught in the trap of my conscience is my guide. Your conscience can be helpful. But in my experience, my conscience is only really helpful when it's convicting me of doing something wrong that I need to fix because it can be so seared and so destroyed by the things of this world and the things that I want. And I've got some Bible verses for that, by the way. Uh, Titus 1.15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. 1 Timothy 4.2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I love this one, Acts 24.16. Say, I always take pains, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. He goes, I I work hard at it to have a clear conscience before both God and man. Seeing our lives through the lens of grace and dwelling in grace and living out the grace. A clear conscience allows believers to be free from any burden of guilt, but don't make your conscience the standard. Your standard will get seared and, and blurred and confused but I like what Acts says I like it it says so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man we're gonna have communion at the end of the service and a clear conscience before God a sinless conscience didn't say that a clear conscience I've done what I need to do I'm gonna make things right I'm going to be right before the Lord. And, and if I fall, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to ask the Lord to forgive me and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to have a clear conscience before God. And before we take communion, we're going to examine ourselves. You can have a clear conscience. And if it isn't, you can get that right and you can be right with God and you can have a clear conscience. He takes your sin as far away as the east is from the west. That's the hope that we have, a clear conscience before God and before man. I work hard, he says, to have a clear conscience before God and before man. Um, This is the question that really comes to my mind. Could somebody walk through those doors? 
right now. And your head would go down and you're like, I hope they don't find me in this room filled with people. Or, or I'm like, I'm out that door before they even get a chance to see me. I can't think of anybody who could come in that door and do that to me. Lots of people come through the door and I'd be embarrassed about the goofy things I've done in my life. But not from a guilty conscience. In Acts, he said, I take pains to have a clear conscience. Based on the standard of the word of God, based on the God's Holy Spirit working in it, based on people speaking truth into my life from God's word, I take pains to have a clear conscience. And if you don't, you can. You get right before the Lord now, and if you need to go out of this place and get right with somebody else, but before God, before God, it doesn't mean they understand what happens. It doesn't even mean they necessarily even accept what happens, but you've done everything you can do before God, that you can have a conscience that's clear, having a good conscience. He goes on and he talks about a good conscience answers the accuser. So when they bring a charge against you, it's so quickly found out to be false, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Not that you're going, aha, aha, but rather... You just let your yes be yes. You let your no be no. You just live faithfully out and what they bring against you, it will be proven. Truth and time run hand in hand and God will demonstrate his faithfulness. A clear conscience answers the accuser and a clear conscience puts you in a better place, verse 17, for it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. If you have to suffer Make sure you suffer for doing good. It's better. It's better. It honors the Lord. It pleases the Lord. It brings you in humility and obedience. It will give you joy. It's better. It puts us in a better place. Well, Peter tells the people, the Lord has his eye on you. Well, so what? So what? The eyes of the Lord are on us. My relationships, my attitudes, the way I deal with the people who come up against me. The eyes of the Lord are on me. He will judge. He will be the one who, um, who brings vengeance. He is the king. He is the judge. The eyes of the Lord are on me. God, help me to have right attitudes that would demonstrate the Lord Jesus Christ, that would demonstrate that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. The eyes of the Lord are on me. Remember who he is. He is the Lord. Honor the Lord God in your heart. His eyes are upon you. The eyes of the Lord are on us. Live with a clear conscience. And if your conscience is not clear today, it can be before you leave this place. If you would be right with the Lord. Peter says some, the eyes of the Lord are on you. The eyes of the Lord are on me. Does that bring peace and comfort? Or does it bring despair and discouragement? If it brings discouragement and despair, get on your face before God and get it right before him. 
so that you can have the confidence to know that he's walking with you, he's helping you, he won't leave you, he's not going to forsake you. In the time of trouble, he's going to guide you through. And when you fail, he's there to pick you up and lead you on. What an amazing hope we have as followers of Jesus Christ, the Lord. In all the burdens and all the struggles and all that there is before us, the Lord says, I've got my eyes. I've got your back. I'm not going anywhere. I hear your prayers. I've got my eyes on you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it pierces our hearts and our souls and our attitudes and our actions sometimes. Lord, thank you for the writing that uh, Peter did and the challenge this would have been to the people as they read it. But Lord, the challenge it is to us. Lord, he comes to the end and he talks about honoring the Lord God in your heart and having a good conscience. And Lord, in just a moment, we're going to um, remember what the Lord Jesus did for us in his death so we can have life. Give us a heart and a passion that we'd be people of God who live out of the abundance of what you've done and the hope that we have in Christ the Lord. Your eyes are on us because you care for us and you love us. You order our steps. And so we have great confidence and great hope. Lord, do your work in our hearts conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And if today that's through rejoicing and thanksgiving, then Lord, do that. And if today it's through conviction and it's through repentance and it's through seeking your forgiveness, God, do that in our lives, that you would get the glory. We'd be people of your fame. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.